Let's Talk PR and More. Public relations, media, publicity, integrated communications, marketing, digital, reputation management, and more. Let's Talk PR and More with award-winning PR strategist, Sherry Goldman. Hi, I'm Sherry Goldman, president of Goldman Communications Group, and welcome to my show, Let's Talk PR and More. Today's guest is Shelly Spector. Shelly Spector is a PR superstar. Shelly is founder of Spector & Associates, a B2B PR firm based in Manhattan, and she is also an adjunct professor at Brooke College. Shelly is co-author of the book, Public Relations for the Public Good, and she recently won the Distinguished Service Award from the Page Society. In my opinion, Shelley has truly made a big difference in the PR industry because she is also a founder of the Museum of Public Relations, the only such museum in the world. And I'm really excited to have Shelley on today's show. Welcome, Shelley. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here, Sherry. Let's get started. You know, I want to talk first about the PR Museum. It's such a special place. And I so love the story about how you even came up with the idea to start it. <laughs> Which, so can you tell us? Because there was nothing like that before you did this. No, it wasn't. And it wasn't like my husband Barry and I said, hey, let's just build a museum for the PR industry and let's raise money and let's buy a building. You know, we weren't building the next museum of natural history. We knew that. So um, the the person who inspired us to build the museum was Edward Bernays, who everybody knows is the father of public relations. And Barry and I happen to have the good fortune of getting to know him for the last 10 years of his life. There was at one point I said to him, where are you going to put all this stuff if you have to move? And you can imagine he's living in a mansion in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and he has eight by tens of himself with every single VIP of the 20th century in this house. I said, what are you going to do with all this? And he said, I want to open my house up as a museum. Now, what was interesting is that I had known that uh, his uncle, his double uncle Floyd, had his house open in London as a museum. And that had happened just a few years earlier. So I knew that that was on his mind. But I said to him, look, Eddie, nobody's really going to come up to Cambridge, Massachusetts and go to a PR museum. This is not going to happen. And then he looked really sad. And so I I said to him really quickly, okay, Eddie, how about we build you a museum in New York? And he was really happy about that. So when he died, the family invited us up to the house and said, choose whatever you want. Anything that the Library of Congress doesn't want, you can have. And we just put everything in a truck that we could have access to and um, brought it down to New York. Actually, we brought it to our Short Hills, New Jersey location at that time and try to set it up like a museum. But of course, who's going to come out to Jersey? (laughs) Not me, Shelley. Sorry. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) Who's going to come all the way out to Short Hills, New Jersey? You know, maybe a trip after going to the Short Hills Mall, but nobody's going to come out to Short Hills for a museum. Eventually, we moved our office and took the museum and had it in New York. It was 26 Broadway. But since we never had made formal plans to have a museum, um, it was a kind of an interesting start because 
Nobody knew about it, of course, and people today still don't know about it. We had no financing. Since we weren't known, it, it wasn't like people were giving us stuff to exhibit. But eventually, you know, word got out that we had this thing, and we made it a real museum by going for a 501c3 nonprofit certification, which took a long time to do. I would not recommend it. <laughs> And, and also, we got chartered by the New York State Board of Regents. And what's funny is that you and I, having grown up in New York, we look at the regents as, oh, my God, regents, scary word to us, right? We right. Oh, regents. God, those tests were awful. I remember that. Right. Right. We called them the regents. And I have to see that phrase again. Oh, my God. So we had to tell the regents, the Board of Regents, why we were a certified, you know, bona fide museum. And we passed that test which I couldn't believe is one of the greatest days that I could ever remember, <laughs> that the Board of Regents now said we are officially a museum. That was 26, well, we started the museum about 26 years ago, and the Board of Regents gave us their blessing um, maybe about 12 years ago. Wow. And, and that was a whole, a whole process. Since then, we've kind of grown our purpose to not just exhibit stuff from other PR people, but we've expanded to bring to the public's attention the work of public relations people, especially diverse public relations people, and how they've helped improve society for business, for culture, for entertainment, whatever. And um, as you know, we have, for every Heritage Month, we put on a program for diverse public relations practitioners and, uh, you know, raising the level of visibility for the panelists, of course, but also for the history of the public relations field as seen by the very important diverse history makers we have. Now, right. you are a teacher. I was just going to say, because, you know, when I thought of the museum initially, when I first met, you know, and we brought students and, you know, talk about the history, but it has evolved so much to the issues in educating not only what the industry has done in the past, but certainly where it's going and, right. and these panels and, and platforms and, and try to foster a conversation because mm-hmm. you know and I know from the public relations industry, even since we've been working in it, it's very different than it used to be. Yes, I it mean. is. It's very different. But, but if you look at how the early founders, and including people like Bernays and Carl Beyer and Arthur Page, it, you would think that they were written today because the very philosophies that we hold about public relations is the same. I just showed it's Bernays best. videos in my class last week when I taught the history of PR. It's one of the lessons for really? my intro class. And um, I showed some of the videos that you have posted. And, you know, the initial reaction, because one of them is um, the Torches of Liberty, where he was promoting right. women should smoke. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and everybody now goes, but smoking's bad. And I said, you have to take a step back and know that when Bernays did it, and he even says that on the video, that no one knew smoking was unhealthy. So let's talk about how it changed perception of women and women's rights and all of that. Right. You know, exactly. Someone exactly. even said this week when we're talking about beech nut and bacon and eggs, and he was creating the campaign for a healthy breakfast. 
but but bacon's not healthy. I'm like, back then bacon was oh. healthy. No, but you can't look at today's values and understanding and put it back then. But the concept, the foundation, the thinking is still the same. Exactly. Yes. And he took if if I were to to kind of get get us down to the to the most smallest part of what he did, it was to smallest but most brilliant. It was to take a product whether it's bacon or whether it's Lucky Strike cigarettes or whether it's a bar of soap, and took that and created a much bigger issue around it and a good issue for society. So with Torches of Freedom, it was women's liberation. Mm-hmm. And he never talked about Lucky Strike, never. He never mentioned the brand name. And he name. never said cigarettes are good. I mean, which obviously never. not. But but no, he never mentioned the brand name. The brand got fit in it. And he probably wouldn't find if Marlboro also sold, you know, cigarettes because yeah, it, it was, was the concept. Right. And we, I listen, I it did was, that for Glad Bags when I introduced recycling. Exactly. I was happy to compete at retail if you can create a marketplace to recycle at home with bags and, and things like exactly. that. And he was really smart about that. Yes. So he took... Uh, bacon and made it into a health food and made the idea of having breakfast part of the American family. And tapped influencers who were doctors then because, you know, people, influencers today in public relations are celebrities and TikTok influencers. But the concept of leveraging someone's influencer expertise and using it for your PR program is translatable. Yes, absolutely. And he was the first person to do yep. that. Mm-hmm. He was the first person to understand third-party endorsement. So he would talk about the difference between PR and advertising. So advertising says, hey, I'm great. And PR would say, we think you're great. Right. And so when it comes from a third party, it has a lot more credibility. So everything he did was to build up credibility. And you're right. He took 500 doctors and used their results in the survey for, you know, and the questions were very simply, do you agree that having a big healthy breakfast is better for Americans than not? What is a bigger, what is a healthier breakfast? Is it, is it bacon and eggs or is it He a never hard said what it was, right. He just said everyone's eating rolling coffee. So do you agree you should yeah. eat more? Okay. <laughs> Who doesn't want to eat more? Yeah. And I, Sherry, I actually found the New York Times story about the survey. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Now, is that in the museum? I'd love to see that. Is that in the museum? Because that would be fabulous. Yeah. Is it? I'll have to look for that. Yeah. I never, I never obviously found the original newspaper from 1923, but I found online and on the Times. They digitized, okay. yeah. So it's probably digitized. Yeah. It may look like it looks like a newspaper because they archive it that way, too. That's right. So it was an amazing headline. Um, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was all about, you know, this survey doesn't mention Bernays' name. It, and it we PR people never get he, credit for that, right? Our names are not. never mentioned. <laughs> no, but, but what he did is, as we said, you know, he didn't mention the product's brand name, which was Beechnut Packing Company. And it's the same Beechnut, by the way, that later made gum. It's the gum right. company. And gotcha. It could have been. It could have been the baby food company as well, but I know that it was the gum company. So here was a beechnut packing company producing bacon, but Americans now were moving into the city and they didn't have time to eat breakfast anymore. And that's the sociological part of this, right? Mm-hmm. So you had all the jobs were now moving into cities. Americans are leaving the farms, moving into cities. They had jobs, you know, across town. 
and who had time to make breakfast, right? So they got into the habit of just having a roll in black coffee. But then through this survey, by telling Americans that doctors say that you should have a big, healthy breakfast, including bacon and eggs, people started doing it. And a beech nut, because it had the largest share of market, was, you know, they they just like in the Glad Bags case, um, you know, it was just bacon generically and lots of companies who were producing bacon made out well, but Beech Nut maintained its share of market and grew more than the other ones. Which is basically all a client, any of our clients would ever ask for, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And what's funny is, you know, you and I work on on an hour, on an hourly basis, right? Bernays worked on this thing for maybe a minute. It was his (laughs) idea. A minute? He's he's brilliant. I wish I met him. I know you did, obviously, but he's brilliant. Brilliant. He just came up with an idea, right? Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, he had somebody make up the survey and send them out to 500 names across the country. He collected the survey results. I'm sure he had other people doing that. And never sent out a press release. It just started growing as a story. And I guess they gave the survey results to the Times. And if you give it to the Times, you don't have to give it anywhere else. So, but the whole concept was news making. He was the first one to do it. It was the first time that Americans were told to eat a big breakfast. And a lot of it, too, was peer pressure and status and word of mouth because you know, in those days, you're living in a crowded na- neighborhood in, in Manhattan, and if your daughter's friends down the street were getting straight A's and your daughter wasn't, um, and you met up with the daughter's mother and said, you know, wow, uh, Julia's getting such good grades. What, you know, what's your secret? And she said, I make sure that Julia has bacon and eggs for breakfast every single morning. You think you're not going to go out you're to You're going to get uh, bacon whatever. and eggs, yeah. Right. So, well, the other uh, thing yeah. is the media was different then, too. If it was in the New York Times, everybody right. read the Times. Now today's media landscape is so fragmented. We could do a whole other show on that. But the taste oh, media yeah. landscape is so fragmented that something is out there and not everybody is seeing it or talking about it because everybody's getting it from a million channels or not or in their own bubble but then there was a real authority to it and everyone knew about it saw it if even if they weren't a subscriber to the paper right yeah and and you know women gossip right and and no not at all shelly we don't gossip no 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 no, no. (laughs) right so and especially you know mothers you know they're just taking care of the house and the kids back then we're talking 1920s and uh you know everybody wants to get ahead everybody wants their kids to get ahead and if doctors are going to say that bacon and eggs can help make your kids brighter i mean they just implied it they never actually said that then you're going to do it absolutely you're going to do it from a museum standpoint, because this is a learning curve for this generation, next generations, what are people taking away from this? Do they, I mean, I know when I t- use it in my class, how fabulous it is. Are, are people really absorbing it and seeing how public relations has changed as a discipline? And I know you have other people as well, but he, he's just so phenomenal in oh, terms yeah. of what well, he has. I have a lot of different ways to answer the question. I mean, what, <laughs> what textbook are you using, by the way? I don't remember the name of it. 
Okay, but it's a classic 101 textbook, probably the same one that I used. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. And in the first chapter, they talk about a history. And they talk about three white guys who started the profession. They talk about, yes, Bernays, but also P.T. Barnum. Yeah, P.T. Barnum and Ivy Lee. Exactly. Now, Ivy Lee was really good. And he was actually, he started his practice before Bernays. And people really don't think of the timeline that way. People also don't know that they were women, professional public relations pe- people back then. I teach some. And, <laughs> I teach the Betsy Planks and you know, right. a few people, yeah. But do you go before that? Do you go I, in the I 20s? Wells, yeah, a little bit. You know, a little bit of the okay. timeline, yeah. And okay, I, so I'm going to tell you about two new people you never heard of, or maybe three. The first public relations person who was a woman was named Zelda Hopkins. Never heard of her. <laughs> right. I never heard of her before maybe a year ago. I got a phone call from the head of the history department at the University of Kentucky. Out of the blue, he says, do we have anything on his grandmother, Zelda Popkin, who he thought was one of the first women PR people? And I said, I, I of all people should know about this, and I'm embarrassed to say I don't. And sure enough, uh, she and her husband, Louie, set up a PR firm in 1918. Wow. So people are finding you and bringing PR's history to you that we may know so that you can obviously expand what you're teaching everyone else. No, that's fabulous. When you think about do people know about the museum as the best kept secret in town? And, you know, that's really great because we don't have that historical perspective. I mean, there was no goal that our people could find out. So it's great that people have heard about it and are bringing their history to you. Yes, it is. You're right. I get such calls once in a while. That's how I learned about Inez Kaiser, yep, who was she's the my first yep. black mm-hmm. woman. But her story is remarkable, as are every other woman's story, and especially diverse women, which is a whole other phone call. But in the 20s, you had Zelda Popkin, you had Doris Fleischman, who was Bernays' partner, but nobody really understands the role that she played in his business, which was huge. And then there's another woman named Belle Moskowitz. So you had three founding mothers of this industry in the 20s. Wow. And I, I dare you to find references to these women in a, in a modern PR textbook. No. They don't exist. Well, it sounds like your next platform has to be women in public relations, where we were, oh, where we yes. started, and where, where we're going. Because I, I know, I know you, you look at issues. I know you just did something celebrating black PR, black right. PR history and everything, and you're doing years. Asian communities and LGBTQ and right. Latinx, you know, women. I, I think you're bringing, or let's talk about how you're you're bringing the, the history and bringing it to today and talking about where we are and where we need to go and what we can learn. Because that educational piece of the puzzle, besides the history, to me is so important. It is. But you don't, you and other professors don't have the tools to do it. Of course not. And (laughs) yeah, and that's one of the things that the museum is going to be doing is to create various curricula for colleges on on how to teach history. Even just two classes 
one thing we didn't talk about is the museum that is now online, right? So Right. And I was going to say, during people... the pandemic, you really had a pivot uh, because we couldn't go. I remember taking classes, obviously, to the museum downtown, and we flipped through. I remember looking through Edelman's clipbooks and old typewriters right. and all things. And obviously, one of the great things during the pandemic is you were able to educate and keep us engaged while everybody basically was in lockdown. I taught uh, this Last year of COVID, I taught 90 online classes. I was the guest lecturer to speak on um, various topics. One was public relations for the public good. One was the hidden history of PR. We spoke about diverse pioneers. And um, another one was, you know, talking about PR practices today as they differ from 100 years ago. You know that this year is the 100th year of PR education. I did not know that. I'm taking notes. And how we discovered that was that Bernays gave the first class on public relations, happened to be at NYU in 1923. And for that class, because, of course, there weren't any textbooks yet, he wrote the first textbook. So we're reprinting that textbook now. We're in the process of, um, I guess you'd call it, well, I can't say typesetting, but we're kind of digitizing his book, wow. writing essays for the book. We've asked for commentaries from professors and scholars around the world. And let me tell you, we've sent, we sent out maybe 50 letters to scholars around the world, and only one said that she couldn't do it. That's <laughs> phenomenal. Yeah, it is. That's uh, did you wild. ever see a return rate like that? Yeah. No, nothing. I, I, I never in yeah, all my years. Yeah. It is it because amazing. they love Bernays? It because they love the mission of the museum? I mean, again, you're, there's nothing like you. So it, it's kind of I think people have been hungry for right the they, centralized they, they, piece of knowledge. Listen, when I went to college, right. there was no PR major either. But you know, that's a whole right, other conversation. Right. And certainly there was public relations then, but as a discipline, you know, technically it's been around forever, but it's never been kind of, I'm, yeah, I'm making, you know, put together as a real discipline until maybe 30, 40 years ago, maybe that's 50 right. years ago right. as a real, you know, and certainly it was always right. the stepchild to advertising and marketing. And now exactly. it's got its rightful place and equals. It does. It does. You know, I think that more money is being spent now in public relations and, uh, and not so much in advertising anymore. But one big problem we do have in PR that I would like to mention and get this exposed is, uh, you know, we've spent so many years now in trying to diversify the the people who work in the industry. We have done a pretty good job. We have a long ways getting, to go. We have a long ways oh, of course, to go. Of getting more diverse students to be interested in PR. Okay. We, you know, we have a very good pipeline, I think, but I call it a leaky pipeline because after three or four years, these kids leave the profession. And why and is that? Very so do, well, we do don't we know, know why? Sure. Okay. We, we suspect it's because they don't feel that they can belong in the same way that when you and I first started our careers, we would go into meetings and be the only woman, right? We sure were, well, and we were, you know, get the coffee and, and do the account work <laughs> at the same time. Because, I mean, especially I know when I started, all my clients were men. So even though the right. agency may have had a lot of women, because PR agencies were thought of like the velvet profession, 
the clients mm-hmm. were men, so they only wanted to talk to the senior men at the agency and not all the, right. the girls that did the account work. Right. They, and, and if we were invited into the meeting, one of the clients would say, hey, sweetheart, can you get me some more cream for my clothes? Absolutely. And, yep. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah, right? And the first time this happened to me, I thought very quickly, I said, well, let me call my secretary. I'm sure he'll bring some more cream in for you. You're and much guy, quicker than me. I probably said, <laughs> okay, sure, I'll do that. <laughs> right. I had a and, little and, self-esteem and, issue. Well, it, it was like, you, and you didn't want to piss off anybody. Oh, never. But, right, my bosses who were in the room were not happy that I said that. I'm sure. Not happy that I said that. <laughs> and you and had to find was, a male you know, secretary because there was none. So um. Exactly. That was the thing. I made that up. That's you're exactly right. I made that up. So, um, but do you feel that going back to the leaky pipeline? Do you think it's they feel they're not welcome, or do you think that as an industry, listen, I we could talk about the industry forever, but it doesn't pay as much as other industries. They mm-hmm. they decide maybe. Uh, I see my generation of students, and everybody wants to be an influencer because in some respect, Mm -hmm. they think that's quick money, entrepreneurial, whatever. But I don't think they understand the constraints and the concepts. And I think in a lot of professions, but public relations certainly, after a few years, they're going, wait, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? This is not, you know, I even have students mm-hmm. who like, I'm going to go into sports or entertainment PR. And right. I have to say to them, entertainment PR is really not what you think it is. It's not as glamorous right. and fun. That's the person who's running for the dry cleaning at two o'clock in the morning. That's the person right. who has to deal with the personalities. You, there's much more creativity if you do consumer marketing or crisis or brand, you know. Um, but I think when you get in into the trenches, then you realize not so what I thought it was. I think that applies to everybody who comes in. You know, okay, yeah, every every race. You know, I think um, that is, is very very true for everybody. But when we were faced with it growing up, you're like you stuck in there. You know, your work is going to get more interesting. The accounts will get more interesting. One day we may even have a choice of what accounts you want to work on. But when you take the smartest, diverse kids coming out of school, they, you know, the parents are on them and said, you know, you should be a lawyer. You should be a doctor. Right. What is this with public relations? So public relations itself has bad PR. Yes, it does. uh, There's no question. Right. No question. Oh, yeah. But so, if diverse candidates are hard to get a handle on in this industry and keep, are diverse candidates getting the better jobs? Are they being cherry-picked and recruited because the good ones we really need? You know, obviously the industry is getting better. It needs to go much further in diversity. But are those mm-hmm. that are staying really having opportunities because everybody wants them? And they bring a very interesting perspective to the puzzle. We need them. We need more diverse candidates. There's no question. I mean, that is potentially a reason, but they are leaving the profession totally. We don't have a handle on exactly where they're going. But one of the reasons that we do know of is that they the culture is very different. I mean, I, I must say the culture is white American, you know, waspy culture. I even felt kind of weird in, in my first job where it was totally white men wasp, and I am, you know, <laughs> a, a, a Jewish woman. They had never had a Jewish person. They never had a woman who wasn't a secretary. So, so you are a trailblazer. Uh, I'm right, Shelley, in more ways than one. Well, and then, so you come into, you know, it, let's say you're a young black 
a woman, you know, you, you come into a big agency and nobody else looks like you and you're treated differently. You feel you're treated differently and you don't know since there are not many people who look like you who are further up the ranks, you don't feel like you have that many allies around. The whole situation makes you feel foreign. But aren't- and so they don't feel as if they belong. But this, I, I don't know why it's more true in public relations than it is in other industries. So I don't get that. And do we know that for a fact, people. though? I'm sure we do know that for a fact. But, you know, the question is, and I know the industry is getting better, and I know you're doing panels on it, and I know firms, so certainly agencies, are, are really doing a lot of internal programs on that. Is Are we making strides in that direction? No. Oh, sad. Okay. <laughs> so it was just, um, as far as the data, no. From quantitatively, it, as quickly as people are getting recruited into the industry, we're losing them, and that's why I I visualize it as a leaky pipeline. So here's a here's another problem for you that has not been studied at all, and that is the lack of men. Now, tell me how many guys are in your class. Um, I would say it's probably 75, 25 women. There's no question. But listen, the industry we were in when we joined, this was the velvet industry. Men went into advertising. Women went into PR. I don't know why. It was softer. It was fuzzier. It wasn't respected. I do think more men are coming in now, but it's clearly still a female. Maybe because it's creative and it's fuzzy and it's events and it's i don't know but but it's well, like right 75 now, women 25 i would just that okay so if that's the highest i've ever heard okay in my in the classes that i've taught including the the guest lectures i did you'd be hard pressed to find more than two guys okay well maybe because my classes are ad pr majors so maybe you know I've oh got a well that yeah that could be i'm yeah. trying to think when i um, taught it in pr at lie post only it was less. I'd probably say it was probably ninety ten or eighty five fifteen. Right, right. And there's and what's happening is that this has become a vicious cycle because now that guys in college have to choose a major and they learn about PR and all they see are other women. They oh, I don't want to go into that. So it's it's feeding on itself. It's getting worse and worse. So what can we do? And what can we do to make it men it, more it interested in this? We, we would have to book another hour for a phone call okay. on this. Okay, uh, we'll, work, we'll work on that, Shelley. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's confounding. It is, uh, and first of all, every time I bring this up at an association meeting, I, I say that we can never be diverse if we're just a bunch of women sitting around the conference room table because men are part of the diversity equation. You know, you got to have, both sexes there. You've got to have all ethnicities And age ranges and ethnicities and and genders and everything. I mean, diversity is not just black and white. It's Mm got to be all targets and and sectors to have a a broad conversation and understanding. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And and, um, I could tell you that clients really want to see men around they don't want to just see a room full of women because they're not going to get a full spectrum of thought and ideas so it is sherry this is a very big problem um and one getting worse every year let's see i'm waiting for the day that i have 100 percent women in the class in my own class 
But this is what's going on. And um, a lot of people don't want to accept it. And a lot of people are, you know, there's some people at colleges who are agreeing, but what can you do? You know, they, they just throw up their arms. What can you do to get more men in the field? I don't know. I think you I have to start, know. listen, you're going to have to start in high school to reach them. You're yeah, going to exactly. have to start We're, talking. The museum's you know, doing that. And you are? Yeah. So you're yes. reaching out to high schools. You're reaching out to? We're, we're about to. We're about to reach out to high schools. And, and that way, get PR on their radar. I mean, advertising is on the radar because they, you know, see ads. Journalism is probably much more on their radar because there's high school newspapers. Right. And if you, you like to write, then you're, you're directed to go into journalism. Nobody tells you to go into PR. Well, you know, PR just, has changed I'm, so much. And, and you can maybe get a point of, into them with um, content creation because this is the generation that understands content and social media. And that mm-hmm. is now a piece, a very important tactic of many public relations programs, okay? Yep. Advertising people claim that too. Digital markets claim that too. But but it is really integrated into public relations. And that might be a way that we can kind of pull them in because this generation does really enjoy that and understand that. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a very good point. So then PR needs to be get a new brand proposition pr needs to be thought of which has always been its problem shally that it has to be more than publicity publicity is one tool or one tactic we probably do it for all clients media relations is a piece of every program but it's not all we do it it is strategy and it's thought leadership Mm -hmm. and all of that and i think you know that's one of the things you're i know you're passionate about and the museum is working on it's one of the things that i'm passionate about that, that it is a broader discipline, and we need to make sure that people understand that. That's right. That's right. And that's why it is important to learn history, because through case studies in history, you can see some fabulous ideas and strategies and ways of looking at things. Um, I couldn't begin to tell you now, but it's... Um, you learn a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and some of the early pioneers, they were brilliant. And, you know, you, you've seen um, and heard Bernays' ideas. There's just a few of them. It, you hear his ideas about government and politics and science. It's extraordinary. It really so, is. And, and the thinking is still the same. The tools, the tactics we may use to right. implement them, it, they've obviously changed. Media has changed all of that. But the thinking is still the same. Good, smart, strategic yes. foundation. And we can learn a lot from understanding what has been done, what worked, what didn't work, and, and taking that to today and tomorrow. Well, you're absolutely right. People will say to me, well, hasn't the whole industry changed because of social media? And I tell them the story about Harold Burson coming to see the museum at Baruch. And uh, I had a whole bunch of kids in there. Well, I mean, actually, they weren't kids. They were employees of Burson, of Burson or Stiller, and they raised one of the girls raised her hand. And she said, hasn't the industry changed because of social media? And he said, let me tell you something. I was in the industry way before there was television, and um, when TV came upon us, everybody said, oh, TV is going to change everything. Oh, TV is going to, you know, what, what? PRSA, I found this, actually had a whole conference about how TV will change. It's, like, it's going to change PR forever, right? We have to learn <laughs> how to work with TV. And it seems really charming these days. Yeah. But there, were, there was a whole 
two-day conference about television. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. so funny. Yeah. Well, I'm sure the same thing was thought of when radio started having guests guests coming on. You and I can talk about this forever, and I'm going to have to have you back, and um, so we can talk some more. But I'm out of time for today. So thank you great so much for for being here, and um, I'll talk to you soon. Excellent. Thanks so much, Sherry. Take care. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk PR and More. I look forward to talking PR and more with you again next week.